Welcome to this special bonus episode of the Lady Science Podcast. Um, I'm Rebecca Ortenberg, Lady Science's Managing Editor. And I am Layla McNeil, one of the founders and editors-in-chief of Lady Science. And uh, we are super excited uh, to be welcoming one of my favorite science communicators out there uh, to this uh, bonus episode. Um, Emily Grassley is the host of the YouTube channel The Brain Scoop, as well as the chief curiosity correspondent at the Field Museum in Chicago, um, which is a title that continues to be my favorite title ever created. Uh, Emily is a a six-time Webby Award nominee and honoree, a member of the 2018 Forbes 30 Under 30 list in education, and has been featured on NPR, CBS News, The Washington Post, Cosmopolitan, and more. Uh, So thanks so much for joining us, Emily. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Just to get us started, if you could talk a little bit about the origin story of The Brain Scoop and how you came to be the chief uh, curiosity correspondent at the Field Museum. Yeah, so it wasn't a very linear path um, in many ways. Uh, people ask me a lot, you know, how they can become science communicators and, and what are the things, what are the classes they need to take and the steps they need to take. And there's really just, there's not one single path um, towards science communication or advocacy or, or any sort of thing. So I, I studied fine art painting in college and uh, graduated with a BFA from the University of Montana in 2011 and got involved in natural history museums, you know, research, science, outreach um, through a a volunteer and internship uh, position at the Campus Zoological Museum, uh, which is called the Philip L. Wright Zoological Museum. And this is a, a little vertebrate research collection on UM's campus um, that I, I just fell in love with and really used it as an opportunity to explore a lot of different scientific or excuse me artistic outlets. Um, and one of them was a blog on Tumblr. This was in 2010 when Tumblr was a little bit different of a platform. And I started a, a photography blog documenting the stuff I was doing in this collection and sort of why the collection existed in the first place and who used it and what, why we had a bunch of dead animals in a museum across campus. And from there, um, the blog transformed into a YouTube series called The Brain Scoop, which uh, was created at the end of 2012. And then early 2013, uh, we started posting regular videos about the research um, and collections work of that small museum and after a couple of months, it somehow got in front of some folks at the Field Museum who saw it as a real asset for the kind of outreach that they aspired to do. And so they created this position for me and offered to bring me on as their first ever chief curiosity correspondent. Um, so that's what I've been doing for the museum for almost seven years now. And uh, and you now have a, a show on PBS that is uh, going to premiere on June 17th that is mm-hmm. called uh, Prehistoric Road Trip. And yeah. uh, so, I, and it is delightful, I can tell everyone out there. Um, and uh, can you just talk a little bit about how that then came to be? Uh, well, I was approached by some of the executives at Chicago's public broadcast station, WTTW. This was in the summer of 2017. And they came to me at the Field Museum and uh, had expressed they were just big fans of the sort of work we were doing online and asked if I'd ever considered 
wanting to do something on broadcast television. And I hadn't really, because I don't, I don't, I mean, obviously I said yes, like, oh, I'd love to try something like that. But I, like most people, I don't daydream in my house, you know, thinking about, mm, if I was going to make a TV show, what would I make a TV show? <laughs> I just didn't have an idea of what it would look like. Um, but something I'd been thinking a lot about at the time, just related to it, was this weird coincidence that my family, um, I come from a long line of, of farmers and ranchers and general like white settler homesteaders um, to the northern plains in the United States. And I've always thought how interesting it was that the places where my family it, it, it homesteaded and where my family continues to ranch today is in this really fossil rich part of a country that has produced such icons as like Sue the T-Rex. So Sue the Tyrannosaurus Rex, which is the largest T-Rex specimen ever found, was found just about five miles off of my dad's ranch uh, in central South Dakota. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I thought it was weird too. And so <laughs> I'd always, I'd always gone to my dad to ask him like, can we go dig for fossils out there? And he never really got on board with it <laughs> because he knew something that I didn't at the time, which is that in order to find a fossil like Sue, you really need to work with area that's already exposed to the elements. So like, the geography on your on your property has to be a certain way. You have to have certain exposures. Um, otherwise, the alternative is to just take like a, a backhoe and to just pick a spot and start digging, which is wildly destructive and probably not going to result in any amazing finds. Um, although we do explore a site later in the series uh, that was found in just such a way. Um, it's the mammoth site in Hot Springs, South Dakota was discovered when a building contractor was leveling a hill in Hot Springs and struck a mammoth tusk. And, um, I'm getting a little sidetracked, but anyway, but they found a mammoth tusk and they were like, well, we should probably get this out of the ground and keep going. And two (laughs) summers later, they still hadn't stopped finding more and more mammoth fossils. And, uh, and that was in 1974 and they've been digging ever, every summer ever since. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so I really wanted to explore this phenomenon. Like, why do you have a place like Western South Dakota? How is it possible for an area like that to have fossils of dinosaurs, which are 66 million years old, and fossils of mammoths, which are 100,000 years old, and fossils of like early mammals in Badlands that are like 40 or 30 million years old? Like, how is it possible? How do you get so many different chapters of Earth's history preserved in such a small area of geographic space? You can drive to all of these regions within two and a half hours. How do you do that? How is that possible? And so that was like really what I'd been thinking about a lot because that's how I use my time. Um, and when when this executive from TTW asked if I'd ever thought about doing a TV show, I, I suggested this idea, which is like, let's do a road trip through deep time and try to rediscover more about the history of the place that I'm from. And we took this idea to PBS because they were, they were, TTW was like, awesome. This sounds great. Glad we asked. Uh, (laughs) We think this is a cool idea for a show. So um, the way that public television stations and markets work is that, you know, you can have independently produced content that only goes to your local PBS market. So like, we were going to make this show for Chicago markets and for South Dakota and Wyoming markets. And um, 
And it was going to be an hour-long program uh, just focused on Western South Dakota. But we thought maybe it, it might have a bigger appeal. So we flew to uh, essentially the suburbs of D.C. where PBS is headquartered and pitched this hour-long show for national distribution as a PBS program. And after I did my little like five-minute pitch, um, they were so funny. They were they were very polite. They were like, we don't like we don't have any problem with the with the program topic, but we think if this is going to be a national show, you have to visit some sites outside of South Dakota, and um, you know an hour isn't going to be enough, so you're going to need a three hour long program. And then they were like, Good. so just like revise your proposal and send it back to us, and then and then get get going. I was kind of like I walked in and out of that room within like 35 minutes. It was I flew all the way <laughs> to PBS to pitch this show and in and out in like a half an hour. And the person I had traveled there with this this lovely man named Dan Souls who's no longer with TTW. He just looked at me while we got on that elevator and he was like in my 20 years of doing this that's never happened. Like they like <laughs> They've you've never taken a show and like normally we were totally expecting them to like give us some you know positive feedback and maybe ask for revisions and try pitching it again in a few months and it was like no it was like get going like <laughs> we need the show to happen so that was in January of 2018 and my like by that fall I had hired my co-producer and we had uh, we went on a scouting trip to see if this would even be possible. Um, and from essentially that time of September, 2018 until now it's been nonstop working on the, on the show. So that's wow. a really long winded answer, um, to your question about how this all came together. No, that's, that's great though. Cause I was wondering about the road trip aspect of it. And, um, that's one of my favorite things about the show. Um, and, um, one of the other things I really like about the show is that you're not afraid to delve into topics that might seem kind of boring at first. Um, like right out of the gate, you're talking about fossilized bacteria, which is not something people think about very much. Um, can you talk a little bit about communicating aspects of science that maybe aren't obviously like quote unquote cool? Well, I think that's an interesting question because that's just not how my brain works. Like, <laughs> like I don't, you don't have to try very hard to get me to think something is interesting. Um, I'm one of those kids that absolutely loved that show, um, how it's made or how things work. You know, mm -hmm. any, like yeah. I would watch an hour long documentary about how they make styrofoam packing peanuts. Like I just <laughs> am fascinated by the mechanisms of the world. And so, um, my co-producer and I, it was on our scouting trip. Um, she and I had, we essentially needed to visit a huge number of sites that we hoped to film at. And we had about a week um, on the road and we were driving literally like 3000 miles in a week. And so we were on the road all day, every day, um, trying to meet with potential filming partners that we would come back to the next year. And it was on one of our last stops where we were trying to figure out where we wanted to start the show. We wanted to start it as far back in the geologic record as possible because we wanted to show and celebrate the widest range of geologic time. So we know we knew the youngest site. We knew the Mammoth Hot Spring site is only 100,000 years old. And that's really not very old in the geologic time since. Um, but we knew that was the last stop. So what was our first stop going to be? And initially, 
we thought about places like Mount Rushmore, right, which is this iconic site in western South Dakota. But the more digging we we did, and the reason I wanted to do Mount Rushmore is because of this interesting fact that the faces that are carved out of that granite core, the rock itself is over 2 billion years old. And it's so hard and so dense that the erosional rate of that granite is about one inch per 10,000 years of time. That's wow. how, that's the erosional rate. So there are human faces carved into that mountain. It is going to be 2 million years before George Washington's nose erodes off. Two million years. It might be, there will be new sentient beings inhabiting the planet. And they will, there will be octopuses that have overtaken land. And now they're colonizing Western, our Western South Dakota. And can you imagine, they're going to come to where Mount Rushmore is today. And it's going to be George Washington's face with no nose on it. He's going to look like Voldemort. This is the legacy we are leaving behind. As a human species. It's, it's like there's, um, you know, various people who talk about, like, what do we do for future civilizations to explain this is a dangerous place because we have buried, you know, radioactive waste or something there. And, um, and that is yeah, very gonna, difficult. And you're like, gonna have but, these four white dudes, <laughs> like, with half-eroded faces. But they're still going to be, like, you know, you, you'll still be able to tell that there's humanoid. So we thought about a place like um, Mount Rushmore, but for any number of reasons, it just wasn't a good fit for the show. I, when you think, when you dig into the history of a national monument, you know the sculptor of um, Mount Rushmore had connections with the KKK. I mean, there's just like there's not a place I want to celebrate. Um, and so instead, we we picked a site um, nearby that uses it's the same granite, and so we we talk about like the resilience of rock itself, and um, it's because of the formation of the Black Hills in Western South Dakota that contributes to the geologic diversity of that area. So it was pretty important that we find somewhere in the hills, but then we wanted to find like what's the first evidence of life in this area. And that's when we found out about the stromatolites. And the funny thing about stromatolites is that they elicit a response from geologists that's really funny because you say stromatolite and like everybody gets excited, like especially <laughs> geologists. If you're like, oh, there's stromatolites there and everyone's going, what? Oh, really? Well, like everybody universally thinks stromatolites are cool once they, once they know what they represent, right? Yeah. And so to find a stromatolite site that was within the scope of where we wanted to film was amazing to us. We were so excited. And it's because, and hopefully you watch the show and you understand now, like just how amazing stromatolites are. But essentially we're looking at the fossil evidence of some of the earliest life that lived on the planet, our oldest possible common ancestor in fossil form, at least the traces of it. And it's because of the cyanobacteria that was living in these early ancient oceans that we have the oxygen-rich environment and atmosphere that we breathe today. So it's a way to like make a link between us as fully realized sentient species and make a connection that is so far back in time that it's unfathomable. Mm -hmm. How incredible is it that this yeah. is a site within the area where we wanted to film? So. So we were just super excited about about including that in the series. 
That's freaking amazing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I, once you explain to people what a stromatolite is or why, like, it's important to care about fossil bacteria, I don't know of anybody who's like, nah. I know of something cooler. Like, <laughs> I think everybody can get on board with that. So something I noticed while watching um, the first episode of Prehistoric Road Trip is that I believe most of the experts you talk to are women. Um, And so I was sort of wondering if that was something that you thought about and in general, um, how you think about uh, experts you decide to uh, bring on, say, the Brain Scoop or or in a, a TV series like this. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting question. Um, so I've been working in the science communication space for almost 10 years. And uh, the creation of our YouTube series in itself was, in a way, a response to the lack of women I saw in, in popularized science roles in the media, right? Like, mm-hmm. It, when I when I started this in late 2012, I was one of the first women to host and create a science channel on YouTube. It probably doesn't seem like that long ago, but it was eight years ago, and it was a long time ago. And there's <laughs> thankfully so many more creators and especially so many more people of color in these spaces. But it's still, you know, representation in science media is, is a, it's a topic that I, I care deeply about. Because representation isn't an accident, right? Like you watched the program and you saw it and, you know, felt compelled to point out the number of women, um, which is surprising, I guess, in, in, some, in some ways because of how few women there are in the geosciences. Um, I don't have an up, like a, a up-to-date number, but I, the last I read the percentage is like 14% of people in geosciences are women. It's one of the most male scientific wow. fields. It's also the whitest scientific field. Those are important things to acknowledge because there's 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 reasons for that. Like if you if you're looking at representation in a program, not just our program, but any, and and you see disproportionately more white people or more men or whatever, you have to ask like, what's going on here? Was this a is this a a product of the production team and who they picked, or is this more symptomatic of the field of science itself? Um, and in our case, it's more symptomatic of the field of science when it comes to racial diversity. But we did work hard to find women um, who are doing amazing work in these spaces. And to that end, it, it wasn't actually hard at all. I mean, the women that you see in episode one are the best people to talk with about the things that we we included in the episode. So it wasn't even that there were like male counterparts and we just preferentially picked women. There's just a lot of frankly badass women doing awesome geoscience work in, in this part of the country. And we wanted to celebrate that. Um, but I recognize it's not something you would expect to see in a program about paleontology just because of the nature of the lack of diversity in the series in general. But I think another thing, another step that the show takes is to show that there are a lot of ways to be involved in the sciences Mm-hmm. And that you don't have to be a PhD credentialed researcher with the you know PI status in a senior lab in order to make meaningful contributions to to science. And so we talk with private landowners. Uh, we talked with a girl who found an amazing fossil skull in Badlands National Park when she was seven years old. Uh, I always um, wanted to be one of those kids. I know. <laughs> you know, and so she's a she's a teenager now. This was ten years ago. We tracked her down. 
Like I, I found out about this discovery from 2010 and I was like, Kylie Ferguson, like, where is she now? And so we found her family. We went through Badlands press release records with the, with the park personnel to try and figure out like contact information for this girl to see if this thing still mattered to her. And her whole family flew out from Florida to, to like, after they found out that we wanted to interview her again. And like, it was just such a big deal for them. And, and she still cares a lot about this discovery she helped make happen. Um, so when we talk about like, or when we want to share our platform with experts, you really need to broaden the definition of what an expert looks like in general. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's one thing that we, we did very deliberately with our program. In a prehistoric road trip, you get to travel to some pretty spectacular places and some that you've already mentioned. Was there a place you visited that was your favorite um, or did you have a favorite experience in the field? I I had plenty of amazing experiences in the field. It was (laughs) we were on the road for about nine weeks total um, and it really just got to go to some awesome places that that we obviously wouldn't have been able to get access to otherwise. But I think the most meaningful site, multiple sites we went to were um, with the members of the tribal communities that invited us to join them on digs. And uh, especially in the Standing Rock Reservation in North and South Dakota, um, there's a great little institute called the Standing Rock Institute of Natural History, which was founded can't exactly remember the the year, but um, within the last 15 years or so, with the goal of wanting to find and protect and educate their community members about the paleontological resources that can be found in their reservation. And their fossil preparator, Ben Eagle, invited our crew out to the probably the most remote site we went to. I think we drove for like two and a half or three hours out of the out of Fort Yates, um, North Dakota, which is the town we had been staying in, um, just on dirt roads. It, I had no idea where we were, and that was probably for the best because it's a site that they're very protective of because of the amount of looting and um, fossil poaching that mm-hmm. uh, is especially prevalent in places like reservations where it's a lot more difficult for them to document and and track the fossil resources just because of the sheer amount of land um, in in those parts of the country. And so Ben took us to a site that they hadn't brought a lot of paleontologists to um, just because they, they they hadn't received a whole lot of interest from outside of the community to, to look at this fossil site, but this, it was absolutely mind blowing. Um, just the abundance of fossil material eroding out of this area. Uh, We spent an entire day sort of walking around and you couldn't take a step without stepping on a fossil fragment. And it was, it was pretty amazing. And I think what was so meaningful about that to me was just the product of like working to build trust in this way. It was something that, that takes a lot of time. And that's, that's true with any of our filming partners. Like it's pretty intrusive to call somebody up and say like, I got a film crew of seven people and I want to follow you around for a day. Like, are you up for it? (laughs) That's kind of, it's a commitment. Uh, And so you have to spend a lot of time building these relationships and partnerships. Um, And then Ben took us to the site that very few people had seen. And in addition to that, he was willing to let us film there and to help them share their story about how as a community and as indigenous people they're they want to support paleontology in their tribe they want to 
use these resources to educate uh, members of their community. And it's incredibly hard for them to do so because they're battling against over a hundred years of systemic academic racism. And mm-hmm. um, so it was just meaningful for us to be out there and be a part of some positive change. Well, thank you, Emily, for sharing your experiences and making this show. And thank you for being on our show today. And um, for everyone listening, uh, Prehistoric Road Trip premieres on Wednesdays, June 17th through July 1st on PBS. Um, So be sure that you tune in. And thanks again, Emily. We appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, Yeah, thank thank you. you Thank you so much for having me.